So the picture on the screen here you see is the new church that our that we are currently renovating and is going to be opened up under the umbrella of FBCG come September. I love this picture. It's kind of giving us this, this visual that the church is to be a light to the world, right? Isn't it beautiful? And we have to begin this morning as well by remembering the overall theme of 1 Corinthians. So you got to do it with your mo the motions and all. You ready? The church, let me see it. Church in the steeple. The church is God's cross-shaped community of resurrection people on a mission, yes, to reach the world with the gospel. Excellent. Very, very good. Give yourselves a hand. Way to go. So, I came across this this week. Do you love this billboard sign that says, it's a, a message from God. That love thy neighbor thing, I meant that. I meant that. I got my shirt on this morning saying love your neighbor to remind you this is what this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. I loved the quote from our guide this week from our author Melissa Spelstra on page 137. She says this, selfishness causes me to strive to order my life based on what is best for me. Me, 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 myself and I. It's all revolving around me. This is kind of the temptation that we face pretty much every moment of our lives, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think we need to be reminded not to make our worlds too small, not to turn in on ourselves, and to remember our calling as the Christian community. God, we are God's plan, right? He is wanting to build his kingdom and expand it through us. We're it. We're it. And we're going to see this morning in these chapters that we're looking at that there's a twofold calling. Well, it's kind of threefold, but twofold. Really, that as we're called to love God and love our, love our neighbors, the reminder is that we need to love our Christian brothers and sisters well. And we need to be a reaching people, reaching out to those that desperately need the gospel. Okay? We're called to love our neighbor. Now, in chapters 8 to 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the questions that the Corinthians asked about whether or not they should eat the meat that had been offered to idols. Three whole chapters that he's talking about this, right? Eight, nine, and ten. Are you sick of it yet? But let's, there's some good things in here for us today. There really are. So, in chapter nine, we find Paul's example of, he was, he was giving up his rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reaching others, for the benefit of others. And in verses 1 to 18 of chapter 9, we find that Paul knows that some of the Corinthian believers claim that they have the right to eat whatever they like. And that is Roman citizens. They have the right to, to participate in the civic festivals. And Paul's saying, 
This can lead to arrogance. He's trying to warn them. There may be occasions where setting aside your rights is the correct thing to do, maybe even much of the time. Paul asks lots of rhetorical questions here. He's defending his authority as an apostle, but he's teasing them a little bit because they know the answers to all these questions, okay? So basically in this whole section, he's saying, I'm an example. I have lots of rights as an apostle, but I've laid them down. I've set them aside. He has the right to ask the church to give him support. But he doesn't. He once again differentiates himself from the traveling philosophers of their day who would seek to gather followers, and then once they had them, they would charge a fee for classes. And Paul is saying, I have gladly proclaimed the gospel for free because of what Jesus has done. Think of what he was and what he, how God had transformed his life, the love and the grace. He claimed himself to be the worst of sinners. And yet God graciously gave him this beautiful calling to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And I love in verse 12 of chapter 9 where he says, and he's talking about himself and one of the other apostles, he says, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He was singularly focused on reaching others for Christ. In verses 19 to 23 of chapter 9, we see that he is, in, he is free. He knows how free he is, but he's made himself a slave to all in order to win them to Christ. Verse 19 of, of chapter 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might, sh might share with them in its blessings. Freedom was highly valued in this culture. Those that were living in Corinth were declared to be free citizens because it was a Roman colony. And the thought of the day was those that possessed wisdom and knowledge had attained true human freedom. And then there are those Jews that had come to faith in Christ who could now claim that they were no longer under the law. They were free from it. And once again, the thought of the day was that if you have freedom, you need to use it. Otherwise, you'll lose it. But Paul is separating himself from what's going on in the surrounding world and saying, I have freedom, but I choose not to use it for my own benefit. And do you see in this text, there, the word win is used five times. His primary goal is to win others to Christ. So when he ministers to Jews, and he when it went throughout his whole ministry, whenever he went to a new town, he always went to the synagogue first. 
And when he was there, he practiced the Sabbath. He would say the prayers. He would celebrate the festivals with them. He would eat kosher because he wanted, wanted to enter into their world and share the gospel with them. He would do the same with the Greeks or the Romans. <clears throat> he would follow their customs, but while also being sure to obey Christ, but he would enter into their world and practice sensitivity to them, to their culture, their understanding of the way of life. And he would seek to meet people just where they were in order to win them to Christ. So we see, as we've talked about before, that Christian freedom is not freedom to live as you please. That's the freedom that the world proclaims. It's being free from being ruled by the things that will keep you from being all that God designed you to be. You are set free in order to serve Christ. It's not just about you. You've been set free to be Christ's ambassador. You are free, freed for Christ, for his people, and for those who need the gospel. You win when they are one. In verse 24 to 27, we see Paul giving this image of an athlete who would train and run. And Paul is once again saying, I am disciplined. I am focused on my mission and on my calling to win others to Christ. So he relates the Christian way of life to training for a running race. Now, this would have been very familiar to the Corinthians because every other year, the Isthmian Games took place. And there were horse races and running races. And, um, and they knew there were people in their culture that were disciplined athletes and worked hard. And they would see their names, lit, the victors listed on monuments in the area. They were presented for all to see. So they understand this idea of training and being disciplined. When I was on my vacation last week, I read the book, The Boys in the Boat. And it's the true story of this young college rowing team from the University of Washington in the 1930s. Wonderful book. I highly recommend it. The training was grueling. The coaches didn't even have to cut anyone because the guys would just drop out because it was so challenging. Some of the best rowers there during their four-year college career trained by rowing 4,344 miles just in four years' time. This would be far enough to get them from Seattle to Japan. They did all that training to prepare for races that only lasted for 28 minutes long throughout their career. I see some gals at the gym that are a lot more disciplined than me. <laughs> I'm there every once in a while. And I think to myself, am I in that disciplined in my relationship with the Lord as those gals are training their bodies? <laughs> convicting. Paul said in verse 27 of chapter 9, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I should find myself disqualified. Paul is aware that 
His example affects his influence of others. He has to practice what he preaches. And he does so to reach his goal of winning others to Christ. The question we need to ask here is, do we make spreading the gospel a priority? And in what ways can we do so? And then we move on to chapter 10, and we see that there, Paul gives warnings from the Israelites and calls the Corinthians to do all to God's glory. In verses 1 to 13, he says, Oh, remember the Israelites when they were in the wilderness? They knew. They saw God's mighty deliverance and wonders on their behalf. They saw his presence with him. They saw how he protected them. They saw him all those days for 40 years, how he provided for them food and water. Their shoes didn't even wear out. The Lord brought them out of Egypt through the sea, and then he led them with the cloud. He brought them from slavery to freedom and provided for them so faithfully, yet they turned away from him. They worshiped idols, they practiced sexual immorality, and oh, they grumbled. They forgot that God covenanted with them so that they could be a light to the nations. They failed to be faithful to the Lord because they made it all about themselves. They failed in their calling to point to all the other peoples of the world to the one true God. And most of them perished in the wilderness. Now the cloud and the sea for the children of Israel are like the spirit and baptism water for Christians. And as God provided food and water for his people in the wilderness, he provides Christians with the table of the Lord's Supper. Paul here is wanting to warn the Corinthians that Christian sacraments are not to be treated as if they're magical. They don't practice, they don't become baptized and practice the Lord's Supper and just become suddenly holy. They can't live as they please. Freedom in Christ brings them a calling and a responsibility. And he says, oh, will you learn from the Israelites' poor example? Don't test Christ. Don't desire evil things. He's saying, oh, my goodness. When you yearn after things that don't honor God and bring you harm, they corrupt you on the inside. They poison you. And I guess I have to ask myself and all of you this morning, are there any idols in our lives? These might help you to, these questions might help you to identify some. What do you think about the most? Where do you spend your money? What stresses you out or makes you angry? What do you love and trust instead of God? These are all questions given by, counterfeit, by Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods. Paul moves on from there to 
state very, very clearly, flee from idolatry. idolatry. Don't eat at the idol temples. We must understand that idol worship was prevalent in every area of their lives. They Really, you couldn't go anywhere in Corinth and, and avoid it. Their calendar was filled with festivities and civic events that all included pagan worship. But Paul is issuing a clear warning here. He says to those Christians who consider themselves strong and wise, the ones that know that idols are just statues, They're not living and breathing. They're not the true gods. They think that they can attend the meals at a temple without being affected by it. And then, as we've heard before, some believe that what they did with their bodies didn't matter. It was all about what was going on in the spiritual realm. But Paul makes this clear. There is no room for pride, and beware lest you fall. So in... in Verse 14 of chapter 10, he says, Oh, my beloved, flee from idolatry, as well as the sexual immorality that accompanies it, because that was what was going on in the temples. There were prostitutes there. That's what was happening. He says, Treat idolatry as if it were an infectious disease. Run. Don't be anywhere near it. And then in verse 21, he says, Oh, dear, dear brothers and sisters, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord. And then go to a temple and drink of the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and then go participate in the table of demons. He's saying those who worship by eating and drinking, even in the banquet hall at a temple, were partnering with that idol. And even though the God is a lifeless statue, there are evil forces that use the worship offered there to gain power over its worshipers. A Christian who is joined to Christ, who has been set free from evil, cannot then go and become a partner with a demon. This is craziness. They must not go and banquet at any of the temples in town. (coughs) Mind you, their social status would take a hit by abstaining from doing so. But the point we must get here, and this speaks to each one of us today, that our choices and our behavior influence the people around us. He's saying, you ones that think you're strong, be concerned about the weak. Your concern and commitment to your neighbor must take priority over what you consider to be your rights and freedoms. So as I mentioned, when I talked about the questions (laughs) helping us to identify our idols, we're not tempted to go and eat a meal at an idol temple today. But oh, there are idols that are prevalent in our society everywhere we go. (coughs) We are constantly tempted to worship other things. Ourselves, first of all. Our bodies. Our stuff, our success, our children, our families, the list goes on and on. What I want you to think about this morning, ladies, is this. Our worship determines our influence. When you are loving God, his 
love is freely flowing through you and you can influence others and love others well. When you're turning away from him, your influence is greatly diminished. You lose sight of your calling. In verses 23 of chapter 10 to verse 11, 1, we see that Paul says, Do everything to God's glory. Seek the good of others. In verse 23 of chapter 10, Paul is quoting the Corinthians here who go around saying, All things are lawful. I'm free to do whatever I want. And he's saying, Oh, but not all things are helpful. And not all things will build up others or build up the church. In verse 24, he says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In Corinth, the social elite would display their status ostentatiously. Buildings would be inscribed with their benefactors' names. Self-promotion was the way of, of life in Corinth. So Paul is saying, Oh, we've been called to a different way of life as we follow Christ. We've been called to a life of service and seeking to advance others, not ourselves. Just last night, I was driving home at night, and there's a house down the street from me. It's a big, beautiful mansion. And it's got lights coming, pointing at it from the ground, up in the trees, everything focused. So at night, all you, you, can, you, know, you don't see anything else that's going on around, but you see this house, and it's as if the house itself is saying, look at me. I thought, yeah, we're all tempted to do that, to promote ourselves. Can we follow in this lowly way? Paul is continuing his discussion about the meat, the meat that's been offered to idols that he began in chapter 8. And he says very clearly here in chapter 10, it's okay to eat the meat that's sold at the market, even if it's been offered to idols. If they were invited to dinner, surely go and be a gracious guest and eat what is offered to you. But if someone tells you that it has been offered to an idol then don't offend them by eating it because obviously their conscience is weaker and that and um, they would be, um, it might cause them to stumble if you ate that. And then he concludes in verses 31 to 33 of chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is that verse I told you, we take it out of context. Remember that? In context, do you see? Do you see the message that's behind it? Yes, you are called to live a holy life for the watching world in every aspect of your life is to honor and bring glory to the true living God. But part of that must be seeking to bring good to others. Mm -hmm. 
Whatever you do, don't lead others into sin. Be understanding of the people that are different from you and the, the, where they're coming from. Be, understand the Jews and the Greeks and your Christian brothers and sisters. Serve and love them uniquely. Seek to meet them where they are. Don't offend them. And be laser-focused like Paul on the mission of winning others to Christ. He finishes up in, in this section with verse 1 of chapter 11 saying, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I read that and I think, oh, could we say that too? Could we say, follow my example as I'm following Christ? Paul so clearly puts the interests of others ahead of his own. He gave all of his life in ministry serving Christ. And he's following Christ's example, the exalted Lord of all. Who didn't try to keep his own rights, did he? He laid them aside and became one of us. And he came to offer his life on our behalf. He came not to be served, but to serve. So the questions, there are lots of them here. I'm sorry. Maybe there's one that the Lord will just have jump out at you. How is your influence for Christ? Could you ask others to follow your example? Are you worshiping idols that our culture upholds? This is something to take to the Lord in prayer. Here, this is key, right here. These questions here, ladies. How are we bringing good to our neighbors? I love the question that we had in our guide a while back. What is most loving in each situation as you're seeking to reach out to others or, or be a faithful member in the church community? What is most loving? Lord, show me what's most loving for this person in this situation. And am I willing to get beyond myself? Stop thinking about what's best for me all the time. And be willing to reach out and love and serve, serve others. I am proud to say that I have come across so many, I love our conversations in our groups. I am hearing stories of how people from this church community are reaching out to bring the gospel to others. I know of a man who's retired. He's retired and he's spending tons of his time and energy and offering his gifts to a local ministry called Young Life that seeks to reach the unchurched high school kids. Beautiful. I know of a couple of ladies who go not that far down the road to Aurora each week to lead a Bible study with women who look very different from them and have had a life that's very different from them. They're trying to reach these women that are stuck in this cycle of generational poverty. And it's not easy, but doggone it, every week they keep showing up to love on those gals and their kids. It's beautiful. I know of another group of women who God has captured their, their hearts and opened their eyes to see. 
that there are more slaves on this planet than there ever have been in any time in history. And they've come to know the reality that in the Chicago area alone, each year, up to 20, close to 24,000 women are sexually exploited just within one year. And do you know how many beds are available in aftercare programs to help them, to draw them out and bring them to this place of healing after this awful treatment that they've received? There are 33 beds in the whole state of Illinois. So there are women that are gathering to pray and they're getting involved in these aftercare programs and they're saying to these women, I see you. I'm going to come be with you and know you by name. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to trust that through Christ that you can find healing. What is beautiful, ladies, is that each and every one of us in this room are going to be prompted in different ways. God's going to capture our hearts with different things. But, oh, dear ones, we must not be a church that have Jesus' hands hanging limp. We must have be reaching out with his love into the world. In chapter 11, Paul is moving on to this new section here that's all on worship. From chapters 11 to 14 are all answering their questions about worship. And I think in our guide that she did a great job of, dress, of addressing this section. So I just want to mention a couple of things from verses 2 to 16 of chapter 11 regarding head coverings and gender. I just want to mention, she, she addressed everything very well regarding the women. But the men were told not to cover their heads. And what we need to note here is that if men covered their heads in this culture, they were displaying themselves as members of the social elite. So once again, we're seeing somebody being arrogant and kind of elevating themselves over other members of the church body. Also, they were letting the practices of their culture infiltrate Christian worship because Roman men, when they were in prayer, what would they do? They would cover their head with part of their toga. So the, the men in the church were copying what was going on in, in their culture. The main point here is that Christian men and women should not use their freedom in Christ in ways that don't bring honor to Christ and his gospel. And Christian worship must look different than what's going on in those temples all over town. And so then we see this section on the Lord's Supper in verses 17 to 34. And we find that once again, the people in the church in Corinth were bringing the social divisions of their culture into their worship into their Christian community. Supper, this word here, would describe the evening meal of the day. And it seems that they didn't, this was the new church, right? The church was just beginning to establish its practices of the Lord's Supper. And at this time, it seems as if they gathered for a regular meal when they uh, would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would gather in private homes. But once again, as was customary, in their culture, 
of the day, what would happen was when people would gather for a meal, those of the higher classes would eat from a better menu with larger portions and in an inner dining room, while the lower classes would eat an inferior and inadequate meal out in the courtyard. So the few rich church members are exalting themselves and humiliating the poor among them. And Paul is basically saying, you are not celebrating the Lord's Supper. You're celebrating your own supper. He's saying there's no place for division or exclusivity within the community, especially at the Lord's Supper. The Lord is present and in your midst when you're remembering his death on the cross. And you dishonor him when you don't equally welcome all the members of his body at the table. So God brought judgment on the community because of this. The Lord's Supper is for all the members of the Christian community to come together to remember and to proclaim Christ's death and resurrection. It's not just a time to gather for devotion and fellowship. It's also a proclamation to the surrounding world. They were not offering sacrifices to God anymore, were they? All the other people were going to the temples and offering sacrifices to their gods with a small g. Christians no longer need to do that because, hallelujah, Jesus has died and his sacrifice has accomplished our salvation. It's the final, perfect sacrifice that God received. Through their celebration of the Lord's Supper, they were to be proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all. I love that when we have communion, celebrate the Lord's Supper today, the, the pastor will always say to us on our Sunday mornings, this table does not belong to our church. This is the Lord's table, and all who have trusted Christ are welcome here. That's the way it should be. So how can we honor Christ in our community worship times? And have we allowed any patterns of our culture to infiltrate our lives and our church community? Some questions to be praying on. But let's finish up with this. (laughs) Oh, Lord, maybe we be ones who get beyond ourselves learn to love our neighbors. Lord, help us to love each other well and help us to be a reaching church, reaching out to give others the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.